You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present our March of the Machine, Top 5 Cards to Brew in Modern and Pioneer. We also complete our set review at the top end of the mana curve to see which new threats are worth waiting for. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined, as always, by the Lodestar himself. He is the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast, Dr. Daniel Schrieber. Dan, what is up? I'm exhausted, David. I feel like I've been doing nothing but analyzing March of the Machine cards for like four weeks straight. (laughs) You are like uh, Keanu Reeves after he's downloaded all the programs. Uh, You've turned into a machine by mastering Kung Fu. It's a massive set. I don't know if it's bigger than other sets, but it feels bigger. Like all these cards, like all of them have two sides to them. It's got to be the wordiest set we've seen in years, despite constantly breaking that record over and over with the most words per card. It reminds me a lot of Strixhaven, actually. I think Damon remarked when we were previewing it, that just like reading all the cards <laughs> was taking a really long time. Kind of like, uh, not the, I don't know if you're anyone out there is a football fan, but people would get really upset with like the West Coast offense because the play calls were so complicated. The guys couldn't like, <laughs> like Z break, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, we only have 40 seconds. So they had to like shortcut all this stuff because they couldn't get the play call out with, you know, there's only 40 seconds between plays. <laughs> you know, and each of the things that the card says we have to analyze, right? Okay. The first... <laughs> mm-hmm. Saga counter of the fourth flipped uh, Praetor. It's like, all right, what does that do? I don't don't know. We got to read it. (laughs) Kids don't read anymore, though. This is good for the young kids. It's like, I didn't read a book, but I did read all of Warren (laughs) Klex's saga. That's like half a Robert Jordan novel. (laughs) It's a good character building set. You love to see it. So typically, we're able to get through our preview show, our set review in two or three installments. We tried this time. We we honestly tried, and we just we couldn't do it. <laughs> we only got through the four drops. So we're here for part four of the set review. Hopefully it won't take too long, because there's not that many playables at the top of the curve. So we're going to knock them out, and then David and I have tried to take a step back and isolate the cards that actually matter. To us, at least as brewers, or potentially as modern and pioneer players, you know, our top fives. Cards we like the best, or we think are going to be the most important. Yeah, so before we get into that, we want to remind everyone, if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, the best way to do that is to go to Faithless Brewing slash Patreon and join whatever level you feel comfortable. Right now, the Discord is alive with speculative uh, uses for many of these cards. Some cards we didn't even get to, right? People would disagree that they uh, don't even deserve a mention. Uh, other cards that we like, maybe people think are, are preposterous. Um, but yeah, there's there's swag, there's play mats, there's... Uh, sleeves there's not sleeves but there are there's not sleeves oh i'm sorry (laughs) correction there are no sleeves but there are play mats there are tokens there are stickers you also get bonus content uh you hear david and i referring throughout these episodes to you know what we've got written in the notes those notes are available to you as a patron and i usually add a comment on almost every card in the set and we only talk about roughly half of them on the air so if you want a complete complete phyrexian style set review uh that's a benefit you'll get as well we call them the extended show notes it's good to have receipts too you know when uh i i we should go back and find my notes on fable i was like there's no way you're gonna have enough time to get enough uh, value out of this card so mm-hmm. if you just need a you know <laughs> scoreboard buddy it's, it's <laughs> tough exactly so patreon.com slash faithless brewing we would love to have you there all right so we left off with we finished the four drops we're on to the fives, 
And right away, I see a card with so much text on it. <laughs> so much text. Double-sided Praetor, Vorinclex, Backside, The Grand Evolution. This, to me, is actually the most playable of all the cycle. Why? Because for three green-green, you get a 6-6 six, six Trample Reach that enters the battlefield and searches your library for two forest cards. Put them in your hand. That's fine. That's playable. It's not great, but it's playable. And the rest of the card, I don't think we should worry about too much, but it's there, so why don't you take us through it? <laughs> eight, eight mana exile, Vorinclex, and return it as uh, a transformed. The saga is called The Grand Evolution, for you uh, Darwin lovers out there. Uh, first chapter, mill 10 cards, put up to two creature cards from among the mill cards onto the battlefield. Two, distribute seven plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control. And then three, until end of turn, creatures you control gain one mana, one colorless mana, colon. This creature fights target creature you don't control. Exile the grand evolution, then return it to the battlefield. So, like most of these Praetors, I think except for basically the red one, if you flip this, you're going to win the game. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine losing unless, you know, your opponent is bolting you and you're at one or something. Uh, you're putting two creatures from your top 10 into play and then adding another seven power haste to them. And then somehow if your opponent is still not dead, uh, Simpson style, stop it. He's already dead. You just one mana fight with all your monsters. And, and so, I mean, not, nothing can be left. Um, yeah, it does find forest cards, not forests. That is one thing I will say. So if you don't want to get up to the eight mana, you could just get two forested cycle. So if you imagine it as like <laughs> four mana to draw two more cards, it, it kind of like draws you, it makes two clues if you want to think of it like that, if you're playing two cycling forests. Um, yeah, you like putting lands into your hand a lot more than I do. I don't consider this like a five mana six, six that draws two cards. <laughs> you call it a three for one. But um, <laughs> Reach is actually really relevant to green. Uh, I, I actually think you guys kind of underrated the three mana Plutochronos for that reason. Hmm. Okay. Uh, as spirits is, is one of green's bad matchups. Um, so as a possible five mana card to play, is this better than the six, six trample that, uh, when it attacks, you get like a three, three or a, th or life or a, or a card. Would you ever play this over that? That's a great question. Yeah. Elder Gargaroth exact, exact same mana cost. Yeah. Is this better than elder Gargaroth? And that's also trample reach. Plus Vigilance, right? It's not better unless you flip it. So th right. that's where that flip comes into play. Uh, I mean, I could say the same about, like, <laughs> I compare this to Titania in Modern, the 5-minute Titania, which also gives you a boost of mana, and in that case, a free creature. So that's, again, better than just putting two forests in your hand, unless you flip it, right? Maybe you're supposed to flip it, and it will happen. It will happen eventually. Maybe the next turn. <laughs> well, Nykthos, Nykthos can make 8 mana, right? It... it it's very possible if you just need another outlet for your Nykthos mana, maybe this is the card. So if we're talking about Nykthos now, now it's competing with Cavalier of Thorns, which finds the Nykthos, which finds your Storm of the Festival. So Vorinclex kind of has the Storm of the Festival built in, but it doesn't benefit from getting milled. It doesn't find Nykthos. There's a lot of competition in what Vorinclex is trying to do. Yeah, and they keep making these super powerful green creatures, right? At three mana, at four mana, at five mana, at six mana. The last few sets have had, you know, you got spoiled for choice. So this card may be very good and might just not be good enough for Pioneer, but maybe it's very good in, in Standard. Hmm. Okay, if not Vorinclex, how about Shaeldred? Three black black legendary Phyrexian Praetor, a four five menace. And a very clean ETP trigger. When Shaeldred enters, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature or a planeswalker. Well, that's fine. Again, that's that's fine. I probably wouldn't pay five for that, but I don't hate it. <laughs> what about the backside? Well, you pay four and a black at sorcery speed, exile Shaeldred, return it flipped as the scripture of truth. And you can only do this if an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard. Okay, so it's going to take a lot of mana, and, you know, the game must have developed for a while. What do you get on the backside? You get the Scripture of Truth. This is a saga. Chapter 1. Choose up to one target creature or planeswalker for each opponent and destroy them. Chapter 2. Each opponent discards three cards, then mills three cards. Chapter 3. Return all creatures and all graveyards to the battlefield under your control. Then flip it back to the front side of Shieldred. 
So I like the first paragraph of this the most of all of them. A five mana, four, five menace that casts like a superior edict is actually pretty good, I think. Hmm. Everything else is unplayable. (laughs) There's not going to be eight cards in your opponent's graveyard because we actually have to bring in graveyard hate in like half our matchups (laughs) because we don't want our opponent to have cards in their graveyard. Uh, Even like maybe blue white is the only deck that would end up having that many and you know your children's not going to resolve or or live um but even blue black now is playing finally a couple dig through times after people kind of wised up so i just don't see that ever basically existing unless you're actually milling them somehow um which has its own risks in uh pioneer yeah i just and i just don't see this backside doing it i mean it all sounds fine but you're you're giving up a four or five minutes in order to do what to kill something again to make them discard well it's kind of funny all these cards are so threatening right on their front side even the six six it's like all right i've by the time i get to eight man i've attacked three times with my six six trample <laughs> so it's like all right what if I, this thing got even more powerful it's like the mighty Morphin power rangers at you know where the <laughs> the villain lady gets like even more powerful um but it also kind of feels like a battle thing where you have all this damage to do to your opponent. But instead, what if instead of killing your opponent, you get like more value by doing some other additional things? So this this set is for people who just like continuing to grow their battlefield. Like, I don't want my opponent to die. I want this game to last a really long time as I get even more powerful. Commander. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. From there, we move on to a pair of Boros Legends. Tell me about Jeru and Hezeret. Jeru and Hezeret, two red, red, white for a 5-4 legendary creature human god. As long as you have one or fewer cards in hand, Jeru and Hezeret has vigilance and haste. When it attacks, look at the top six cards of your library. You may exile a legendary creature card from among them. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Until the end of turn, you may cast the exile card without paying its mana cost. So... This is kind of sweet, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's tons of legends you can hit. Uh, people are talking about Atraxa. You could cast... Um, Emrakul. Emrakul. Yeah. You get the trigger even. Yeah. Getting down to one or fewer cards is actually easy. You're just playing the game naturally. Typically, you know, as a curve topper, your five drop is going to be, you know, probably play your land and then you're not going to have a lot left. Also kind of rewards you if you're playing a deck that's like looting away a bunch of cards or rummaging away a bunch of cards and then bringing this back into play to get an attack. Um, I, I think you really do need to be able to attack the turn you play it. A five mana five four is not going to get the job done. You, you need to have that haste. So I, I, it's like a homeless man's Winota. <laughs> I love the, the way that they've included that clause from Hazaret, but... It's not a downside, right? You just get a bonus if you meet the Hazaret condition. You get the Vigilance and the Haste. But you can still attack next turn. Um, if you're going to Goryos this into play, Goryos Vengeance, then yeah, you, you just get Haste naturally off that. While that may sound totally ridiculous, the Emrakul line is super powerful. That, that actually ends the game. It's a cast trigger on an Emrakul. So maybe, maybe this kind of sits in that middle space of like it's kind of like a Through the Breach, but it's also eligible for Goryos. I, I would try to play this card with things that naturally grant haste. So cards I'm thinking of is the three mana um, werewolf that grants haste okay. uh, at the start of combat. Um, there is the uh, the seven mana artifact where you can bring a creature back from your graveyard as a 4-4 version of itself and it gains haste that turn. God Pharaoh's Gift. Yeah. Um, there is the two green and a red, uh, two, three creature. And I think at the beginning of your combat, you put like plus one, plus one counters on a creature equal to its power. I think that it starts with an A, Atria or something. Uh, Halana and Elena partners. Yeah. 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 So like cards like that, that are just reasonable, you know, kind of tempo-y type of cards. And then this is just like sits on the top as sort of like a, a combo engine. Also interesting is the uh, one in a red uh, discard a card enchantment that can grant haste uh, for an extra mana. Yeah, bitter reunion. Yeah, so I just you, you need you need to get this thing haste. Uh, it, it it can do it naturally, right? It, sometimes your opponent thought seizes you or whatever. This is an awesome top deck. I think the rest of your deck has to kind of be bent around granting it haste as well. 
Yeah, it's just, it's weirdly playable. Weirdly playable yeah. for a five-mana Boros Legend. And then hit Ugin and just, or uh, Ulamog or whatever you're in the moon, <laughs> Emrakul. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in modern, you're going to have to be actually killing them with Emrakul or Atraxa. In a slower format, you know, you can maybe just mid-range them with this. It's it's like a Winota slash Jota mixed together. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. At the same spot on the curve, also in Boros colors, instead of winning the game, what if you could have an elephant? <laughs> what if you could have some value? Can I interest you in Quintorius Loremaster? Yeah, I love this card. Quintorius Loremaster, three red-white legendary elephant cleric, three-five with vigilance. At the beginning of your end step, exile target non-creature non-land card from your graveyard, create a three-two spirit creature token that's red and white activated ability one red white tap sacrifice a spirit that's all of that is the cost so you're paying three tapping and sacrificing a spirit like the token you just made when you do that you choose target card exile with quintorius you may cast that card this turn without paying its mana cost if it goes to a graveyard you have to put it on the bottom instead why the bottom who knows so if we treat this end of turn trigger as an enter the battlefield trigger, which it more or less is. More or less is. You're getting a 3-5 with Vigilance and a 3-2. The 3-2 does not fly. It's so weird. I don't know why I think all these spirits fly, but I learned that lesson the hard way multiple times during Strixhaven. <laughs> does not fly. <laughs> so the combined stats is kind of like a Tolsamir, but a little bigger. It's almost like a Broodmate Dragon then you can do some sort of combo thing or value thing that's almost like a Capricious Helikite, if I dare say so. But it's like controlled. It's it's controlled and, you know, you can even attack with Quintorius the next turn and still do the thing. Yeah, so it's worth noting that if the creature, if the spell you have is an instant, excuse me, is a sorcery, you have to activate this ability during your first or second main phase. Oh, oh, I see. It allows you to cast that card without paying its mana cost, but it does not cast it as part of the ability resolving. Okay. Normal timing applies. Yeah. So, so if it's an instant, you can attack, you can have a second trigger, uh, and then you can, you know, do it in, you know, whatever. Let's say you've got the, uh, the two white, white, you know, exile attacking creatures like Quintorius just <laughs> protects you. Um, a card I'm interested in playing with this that I could not get to work with <laughs> fucking capricious Hellraiser because it's terrible one mana cycle draw four um which is a sorcery that's just a sweet card to put in your graveyard with quintorius boon of the wish giver that's the one boon of the wish giver yes it's go time yeah. super sweet okay so you're willing to, you're willing to build around this it's not too slow oh yeah okay all right it's sweet it's very sweet <laughs> the thing is like you say the removal, okay, it's not great against counter magic. No five drop is, but fine, whatever. Shieldred isn't good against counter magic. But against actually most of the removal in the format, it lives through almost everything. So it basically is a de facto come into play ability and it makes another blocker. So normally like, all right, well, it has five vigilance, but can I really block? Because then Stomp might kill it, you know, even though even though it, uh, you know, eats the, the other Bone Crusher in play. It's like the 3-2 just trades with the Bone Crusher. Right, and losing that 3-2 does not prevent you from later getting that card, right? You can just exile something else in your next end step, Yes. activate the ability, sack the new spirit, but cast the first card, the Magma Opus or whatever it was. There are also a reasonable number of spirit creatures that you can just play. It doesn't have to be a spirit that Quintorius generates. There's a few playable spirits. Oh, interesting. The 2-1 spirit, Just this is just an example, the 2-1 spirit that sacrifices to give all your creatures indestructible, which is maybe something you want in a Quintorius deck anyway. Um, it's just a, a playable card to have around. All right. From Quintorius, we go on to a colorless invasion. Mord had the audacity to call this a better niv Reborn, and he offended me greatly when he did yeah, so. I, we cut off diplomatic relations. This is uh, <laughs> like Finland joins NATO kind of a move. All right, David, I, I'm too emotional, but I cannot read yes. the card. You got to read this one. Invasion of Ravnica, five colorless mana. It has four life points. When Invasion of Ravnica enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls that isn't exactly two colors. 
So can't hit any specific guild card, but any other card it can exile. That's non-land. And then if you defeat the battle, it turns into guild packed Paragon, which is 5-5. Five, five. Whenever you cast a spell that's exactly two colors, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a card that's exactly two colors from among them and put it, onto, put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. So I think what he specifically proposed was flipping this somehow. Again, everyone just freaking elides past that. Like, <laughs> all right. And then after we do four damage effortlessly, then you just <laughs> cast Manamorphose a bunch of times <laughs> and it uh, generates an insane amount of value. How much value was that? You just drew four cards? I guess. I don't know. You picked Manamorphose every time. <laughs> <laughs> and then I filled my deck with Manamorphoses. Ah, gosh. I mean, it would be sweet to have the Guild Packed Paragon. That's the backside. No doubt that would be sweet. But is it worth it? Like, you actually have to construct the deck with a reasonable density of two color spells. And we've seen already that Niv Mizzet Reborn is the best payoff for this. If you're going to do that, you should just get paid right away. And that's what Niv does. It just, I don't think it's worth it to go through the extra steps of winning the battle, even though you kill something, even though the Guild Pack Paragon technically, technically has higher upside than Niv. All right. What about this as a card that like, and you guys tell me if I'm way out of line here. It's like a colorless deck in um, modern. Mm. Probably playing the Urza lands because the five mana, you know, it's, I don't want to say trivial, but, you know, mono green Tron, um, Eldrazi Tron. Okay. It's a unique effect for a colorless card, correct? It exiles any permanent. Okay. So just as a. Or almost any permanent, obviously. As a colorless removal spell, this is the first thing that does. Well, one of the first that does it. And then in Eldrazi Tron specifically, right, you can uh, attack it with your uh, Thought Not Seer or whatever. Now, you won't get the triggers from Guild Pack Paragon, but it's just, you know, I, I, I don't know how playable that effect is if you if they felt like they were missing it. Maybe the new 8-8 that turns them into a uh, Power Stone is is already just enough, and 5 and 8 are basically the same, like once you have okay. um, Urzatron assembled. But that's that's the only thing I can think of. Well, it's kind of like a Mightstone Weakstone, a five-mana kill spell that gives you something else. Yeah, I even think Mightstone Weakstone is better, honestly. <laughs> All right. From Invasion of Ravnica, we move on to Hiratsugu and Kairi. Neon Dynasty Legendary Team-Up. Two blue-blue-black, so that's five total. Two blue-blue-black. 5-4 Flying Legendary Ogre Demon Dragon. It has an ETB effect. When Hidetsugu and Kerry enters, you brainstorm. You draw three, then you put two cards back from your hand on top of your deck. When it dies, you also get a trigger. You get to exile the top card of your library. Target opponent loses life equal to its mana value. If it's an instant or sorcery card that you revealed from the top, you also get to cast it without paying its mana cost. So is there a combo with this, right? Hidetsugu famously takes half their life and you would love to just take the other half right away. So we need a card that when you get this death trigger does 10 right away from being like a 10 mana card that also can be cast to deal the other 10 damage. Is there a card like that? So you can go into Scryfall and search. You're going to go look as far as you can. And it turns out there's one card and it does exactly that. There's exactly one card that does exactly that thing. It's a... Uh, it's from Neon Dynasty even? Wow, that's cute. It's from Neon Dynasty. <laughs> Was this seated exactly? Probably, I have to say. I, this feels like I we haven't actually brewed anything. We've just, yeah. like a dog that rolled over and had its belly rubbed. I, I feel cheap. <laughs> it even has pseudo-convoke. It's explosive singularity. Eight red red yeah. with convoke. Yeah, they seated convoke mechanic there. Ten damage sorcery to any target. So what do you make of this? I mean, is this a thing we should try to do? I actually think this is highly playable in Pioneer. I, I, I might just be crazy. Uh, I've tried to resolve a lot more five drops than most in Pioneer. Um, I'm not saying it's the best thing to do, but the thing is, once you resolve Hitsugu, it's really hard for them to stop. It searches for your sack effect. I'm just going to say Deadly Disputes the card I want to play. It helps me ramp to Hitsugo, and, and we could even play um, other sacrifice effects, but I'm at least playing four Deadly Disputes. 
And then you just put Explosive Singularity on top. So now you have the Deadly Dispute in your hand. If they go to untap, unless they're playing Counter Magic or they specifically thought sees it, I just do it in my upkeep and I win. If they... But but it's like a creature that they it's, it it reminds me a little bit not quite as bad as the uh, the four mana six six that exiled your graveyard. Uh, like killing the creature once it's in play doesn't do anything because it just sets off the, the trap. <laughs> I don't know which creature that is you're referring to. The 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 colorless the Eldrazi four four or the four mana six six flyer that's banned in Pioneer. Oh oh, Inverter of Truth. Yeah yeah. So it reminds me a little bit of that where you like it's technically a creature combo, but like if the creature resolves and its trigger goes on the stack, it's actually like really hard to stop the combo. Then you have to have very specific, you know, again, thought seize or counter magic was the only way to stop the one, three thought seize and counter magic is the only way to stop Hitsugu and countering the deadly dispute does not stop Hitsugu. Right. So if you, you have to counter the Hitsugu itself. If you draw it the next turn, it's too late because deadly dispute sacks is part of the cost. Um, so I actually think this is going to be pretty good. It's also in the disruptive colors. Like I'm, you're going to play four Thoughtseize in that deck, right? You're going to play four Fatal Push to stay alive. You're going to maybe play some of these garbage one drops we're talking about. So you have Deadly Dispute Fodder. Um, but yeah, it's like once it's in play, there's nothing they can do. You're just like, okay, my upkeep, like Deadly Dispute. Okay, counter the Deadly Dispute. Okay, trigger on the stack, target you for 20. I mean... There's not that many cards that stop it. Again, you have to resolve the five drop. I guess they, they are allowed to counter the big sorcery because that, that oh yeah that's true so there's a yes, chance okay, for them to good. only take 10 sure that's a great point and then like deadly dispute draws two more cards to find our next hitsugo the other thing that's cool is this deck this hypothetical deck i'm outlining gets to play dig through time right so dig through time is not the combo they don't die but like they take eight and you pick two of the top cards from the top of your library like that's pretty good <laughs> So in this theoretical deck, do we need to be able to cast Explosive Singularity with, without Hidetsugu? Like, are we playing Convoke cards, for example? Uh, I would have to check. If there's something that happens to randomly be red but doesn't take red mana, like if it's a red-black hybrid or something. Mm. Um, no, I don't think so. Or, or may, maybe a couple of... Um, like the Deserted Beach-style cards, where they just it's a black source, but it r randomly taps for red. Yeah. Okay. I could even play like, you know, a one of the uh, the Celestis I, I like in these types of decks. It naturally ramps to five. It loots. Okay. Well, if you see a Hidetsugu in play, this is what's happening, right? This is the only reason to play this yeah, card. Yeah, exactly. They're, 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 there's no playing fair with this card. I just think the fact that you also get to play like three or four um, dig through times means like, okay, fine. We didn't find the explosive singularity. Like dig through time is just an insane card <laughs> to get to like dome them for eight, pick two of your top seven, probably find the combo again. Yeah, very true. Lastly, among the five drops, a brief note about Archpriest of Shadows. Three black, black, four, four human warlock with backup one. So when you back up a creature with this, it will gain all the following texts for one turn. It will gain death touch and it will gain Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player or battle, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Yeah, so I liked a lot of the lines that you and Mord were describing with the four mana green creature. I think that's the most underrated card in the set. Um, the Doomscar Warrior? Yeah, like if you imagine turn one elf, turn two Glissa, turn three warrior, attack with Glissa, it's a death touch trample. And you get two triggers. You get to draw and look at your top five and find a creature. Um, and you guys also outlined the line with the three mana werewolf that grants haste, right? You can maybe draw a bunch of cards like those are insane. So this is not as good as that because it's so expensive, but I'm, I really like it. It's like a one of on top of the like black, white prototype shell we were playing because when the prototypes die, they are, uh, small mm -hmm. and this a, like that we already have a pseudo evasive creature. We have the, the menace creature. So we put this death touch trigger on it. A, just giving extra power to either the prototype creatures matters, right? Because the, the power um, matters in terms of them losing extra life and the other creatures death touch. Death touch also combines insanely well with menace, right? So to stop it from triggering, they have to lose two creatures. Uh, so that's just a built-in two for one. And then we're left with an archpriest. And then if 
any of these is in the graveyard, like the creature you get back is way better than the normal creature you get in the course of playing magic. So I don't think it's like a combo piece or something you'd build around. I would just propose like playing one of these on top of the black white prototype shell. Yes, this one very much a curve topper, but it's super threatening. Like you'll do it, you'll do the backup thing and they'll read it and they'll be like, I cannot let this hit me. I must stop the creature. They'll stop it. And then they'll look and you still have an Archpriest, which has the exact same text ready to go again the next turn. Yeah. And again, not that I think this card is good, <laughs> but the format of Elspeth is just like, it's just a really wild curve. If you think like you play the three mana prototype creature, you four mana Elspeth, send it to the sky. If they don't kill it, you play Archpriest, pump it up and then attack. And then like Elspeth also can give this flying. Like if you draw it on in the other order, um, and again, maybe that's more of like a standard thing, but like giving flying and menace and death touch to something like that, that's an unblockable creature. And it's just casting <laughs> what is functionally a five mana spell in, in uh pioneer. That's kind of how they priced it out. And then we also get, we're left with this archpriest that can do it every turn in theory. Yeah. Okay. So maybe a card to keep an eye on keeping your back pocket. And that will conclude the five drops. Going on now to six mana, uh, the bar is very, very high. But one way to still be useful is to have an alternate cost. So our, our first six drop on offer is a legendary team up from the plane of Ikoria. It's Kogla the Titan Ape and Yadaro the Dinosaur Turtle. Kogla and Yadaro. Two red, red, green, green. Legendary Ape Dinosaur Turtle. Very nice. <laughs> so what do I get for my six mana? You get a 7-7, seven, seven, which is pretty sweet, and it can do two different things. It can gain Trample and Haste until end of turn, or it can fight target creature you don't control. And then in addition to that, it has like a pseudo-cycling ability. So two, a red, and a green. Discard Kogla and Yadaro. Destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment. Shuffle it into your, graveyard, into your library from your graveyard, and then draw a card. So it's like uh, Slice and Twain, if people remember that, like four mana destroy an artifact or enchantment, draw. You can just straight up cycle it for four. You don't need to have anything that you're destroying. It is an activated ability uh, for Dan's favorite one blue mana card. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so you just have this like split card, right? Four mana disenchant, draw a card. Or six mana, kill a planeswalker. Or six mana win a battle or six mana kill your opponent or six mana kill a creature your opponent controls. So I initially missed that you draw a card when you discard this. Um, Cause I was thinking like, if I really want that, Poseidon already gives me that for a much better rate, but okay. Drawing a card is something. And then it's like, does the six mana version, the full price version, does this just win the battlefield immediately? And it kind of does kind of. You know, it's bigger than anything else that will be in play. It can kill something right away. Um, yeah. I, I give it a maybe. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too. I think it's specifically great in the red-green boats mirror. Mm -hmm. Just, like, blowing up all the artifacts, drawing a card. Then your deck gets very, like, Koglo and Yadaro dense <laughs> as it keeps cycling back in uh, like the old Yadaro used to. <laughs> oh it's too bad this doesn't count as like a cycle of Yadaro. That would be sweet. You could play like four of these and four of the original one. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Our next six drop coming from Theros. It's Croxa and Kunaros, an elder giant dog. And this one is part of infinite combo. So again, it's, it's one that people are trying to make work, but six mana, the bar is high. So David, tell me about Croxa and Kunaros. Yeah, so three, a red, a white, and a black, so six mana. Legendary creature, Elder Giant Dog. It has Vigilance, Menace, and Lifelink. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may exile five cards from your graveyard. When you do, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it's sort of like a Sun Titan that can get any creature, not restricted by mana cost, but you have to have at least six cards in your graveyard because you're exiling five of them. But you have a uh, combo here outlined, Dan, that I hadn't really considered. Yeah, so you need Alter of Dementia in play. This is in Modern. When you have Alter, you actually get to use this trigger over and over again on itself. Because the way that it's worded, it's an intervening if clause. You don't have to choose a target until you've exiled the five cards. So you actually have time to put the Crocs of Kunaros into play, 
trigger on the stack, I respond by milling myself for six. Now we resolve the trigger, and oh look, there's my Croxo and Kunros in the graveyard, so I'll just escape that. You know, I exile the five other cards, and I get this back, and I have, I'm picking up one extra card every time, because the ultra builds six per, per cycle, and I just keep doing that over and over again. Eventually my deck is gone, and I found a Thassa's Oracle. That's fine, I bring that back, and the game is over. So it's a clean kill, more or less. It's very graveyard dependent. A lot of cards are clean kills with Ultra Dimension. Few of them are as compact as this, right? So you may be thinking of like a Safi, Eric's Daughter, Renegade Rallyer, and Alter is a kill. But that's three pieces. This is only two. However, it's six mana to get this into play, so it needs help. It requires like a Gorio's Vengeance, and it ends up being a similar number of moving parts. And my concern is that all of this will just completely fold to Graveyard Hate. Yeah, I mean, that's probably true in terms of being broken, but I do like that the body is actually quite good, right? Like, if you end up having to hard cast it, this is... You could just imagine winning, right, with a few attacks from this. A menace, lifelink, vigilant creature is... I guess I'm imagining the deck that we're playing is playing, like, maybe Fable the Mirror Breaker, and with only a couple of treasures from our little goblin friend, maybe we just hard cast this in the, in the post-board games when they, you know, have got a zillion other, you know, all their hate in. Yeah, maybe it's just like a, a fear card. It's actually kind of devastating. Like, you just get back a Fury. You don't have a huge graveyard, but you have enough to escape once, and you get yeah. back a Fury. Right. Um, it, do you want to play Invasion of the Giants? Because you can do that and get this on turn four. <laughs> yeah, If the I was just thinking that if the colors work now, it's... <laughs> in Pioneer, it is not doable, which is a place where I think invasion of giants power level works, but the giants are so much better, of course, mm. with the Titan cycle in modern. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. The card seems very sweet though. It's, it's sort of like a fixed sun Titan. Yeah. All right. Next up invasion of Fiora, a six mana battle six mana. So we better be getting a lot. What we get is a wrath when it enters a battlefield you either destroy all legendary creatures or you destroy all non-legendary creatures is that worth six not exactly but if it's asymmetrical that's pretty attractive the power i think comes from the backside so it, it takes four to defeat this battle which is not so much you can imagine doing that the same turn right if you if you actually successfully pull off an asymmetrical wrath from the invasion of fiora you can immediately flip this into Marchesa Resolute Monarch, and she is pretty good. She is a 3-6 legendary human noble with menace and death touch. Whenever Marchesa Resolute Monarch attacks, remove all counters from up to one target permanent. So she just wins the battle immediately if she wants to. She kills a planeswalker immediately if she wants to. She resets a saga if she wants to. And on top of that, she has a pseudo-monarch ability. It's kind of a cool callback to the monarch mechanic she says at the beginning of your upkeep if you haven't been dealt any combat damage since your last turn you get to draw a card and lose a life i like the package there i mean that's almost worth doing she's just she's really attractive to me yeah i, I think the line you're outlining is the only way that this card can be played which is you have a legend in play and i'm going to say it's shielded because it just lines up the best with the way that costs work hmm you cast Invasion, you destroy non-legendaries, and then Shieldred immediately attacks Invasion of Fiora, and you have a Marchesa, which prevents them from attacking you with any haste creatures. She triggers on your upkeep, you actually go up a life with Shieldred, and like you've stabilized, you know, it doesn't matter how far behind you were. As long as your opponent wasn't, you know, doesn't have Adeline and Thalia uh, in play, um, you, you, know, you now have basically won the game. So I, I think it's that kind of like play sequence is the only, because six mana Rass are not playable. Mm. in pioneer i think blue white plays one six mana wrath the just as like their their catch-all okay yeah yeah it's probably just too much and this is probably cannot be as good as i'm thinking because this is a standard power level card and it's probably not going to be that good and standard the other problem that comes up is there are a lot of legendary creatures that like a lot of decks are playing so if you have legends in play, if you have Shieldred or something, and your opponent has Thalia and Adeline, this isn't even as good as a Wrath of God, right? I mean, if your opponent has a equal or better legend than you, like it won't ever like if against Mono White, if you have no creatures in play, this this won't kill everything, right? It kills Thalia and Adeline, or it kills the the you know a bunch of one ones or whatever, mm. but not both. 
Okay. Or if your opponent has your opponent has shielded in a um, a flipped fable, right? It, it can't ever hit both. So if the six mana side is not solving your problems, it's just horrible. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm off it. You're, you're right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And lastly, to round out our march through the set, we have some very expensive cards with Convoke. Tell me about the Ancient Imperiosaur. Ancient Imperiosaur. Ancient Imperiosaur is five green green for a six six Convoke. Trample Ward two. And it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it for each creature that convoked it. So in theory, if you ultimate convoked, if you tap seven creatures, uh, instead of attacking your opponent with the seven creatures you made this creature, <laughs> you get a 2020 Trample Ward 2 for seven mana. For zero mana. For zero mana, yeah. I mean, gosh. That probably is not worth doing. But what if it is? And what if the in-between states are actually worth doing? Like, what if convoking this with, like, three creatures and four mana and getting, what would that be, a 12-12 Trample Ward 2? Like, is that worth doing? I mean, Ward 2 is not that much, which is a little concerning to me. Okay. So, like, Ossification still gets this for four mana. Hmm. Okay. And Dreadbore still hits us for four mana. So I need it to cost less than four mana <laughs> in order to at least win the Temple War with this, and then I've given up a major attack with five creatures. Yeah, so what's the what's the cheapest way to get a bunch of creatures that would normally have no value at all? Like, what makes a bunch of O-1s or something? Gosh, it's not so easy to get O-1s. They're stingy with these. <laughs> they know what we're up to. Plant tokens, I guess? I, Nissa? Yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to think of the way where, where we're not missing a combat step with creatures we, we're getting them almost free you know almost as like ancillary effects nothing's coming to mind right now but I, I think in order for it to be worth doing like this doesn't have haste which is a problem so it needs to survive to actually attack or it needs to be like part of a fling combo or something yeah thud yeah but that, that is a combo that's a that's a 20 damage combo huh one way to get cheap creatures is Master of Waves, and I probably would not use that for a green creature, but you could imagine casting any number of the blue Convoke spells off Master of Waves. Yeah, and there's a bunch of expensive ones. There's a bunch. I mean, there's medium ones too. Like, there's a two blue blue, three four flyer pirate that we didn't talk about. There's Interdisciplinary Mascot is an eight mana card. It's six blue blue, five five Convoke, Ward three and when it enters a battlefield you look at your top four cards and just pick anyone you want put in your hand so what would you pay for that impulse plus a five five ward three like forget the convoke what what would you pay four mana for that card yes right <sighs> i mean i would but then like i looked at the knight errant of eos which just gets two creatures and it's a five drop and i'm like okay clearly my evaluation is wrong because that seems insane to me and then I look at this card, and it's like, I only get one card on my top four. Why wouldn't I just play the Knight Errand of Eos instead? So there's something I'm missing. I'm not quite sure what it is. Also, this uh, mascot does not fly. I always think that these blue cards do. It looks <laughs> like it flies. It's like flying over this dude's shoulder. <laughs> it certainly does look like it flies. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. I'm confused. It also just sucks. Like, you play this and they play Shieldred's. Like, fine, you're up a car, but like, Shieldred just trades with this. It doesn't matter with the ward. I'm like, all right. Take two. <laughs> Block. <laughs> so, this would be specifically interesting because of Master of Waves. I think that's the only real reason to consider this one. Um, yeah. There's a blue invasion, invasion of Segovia. The front side makes tokens. The back side is a creature that lets you untap four creatures a turn. So you could go off, go off, quote unquote, with this. Um, you know, it draws another copy of itself, maybe. Or if you don't like that, you could play the other one, uh, the Hoarding Broodlord, which is a black eight drop, very, very similar card. It has Convoke, and when it enters, it gets it tutors for something. Yeah, Hoarding Broodlord actually seems really powerful to me. I don't know exactly know how to like do the thing that wins the game, but. You have, like, with a Paradox Engine type of card, like, that actually seems awesome to me. We could just, like, 
play out all of our hordling broodlords and just find a Thoughtseize at the end? So help me understand this. They're, they're, they're both rares. They both cost eight and have Convoke. The hoarding broodlord is five black, 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 seven, six flying, so much bigger, but doesn't have ward protection. When it enters the battlefield... Oh, but the blue one also flies. No, just kidding. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> when it enters, search your library for any card, exile it face down, then shuffle, and you just get to play that card for the rest of the game. And that spell has Convoke. Yeah, the Hordian Broodlord says spells you cast from exile have Convoke. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Can you just go off with this? Chaining copies of itself with a Paradox Engine or something? I'm, I'm not sure. Because I think the other demon that this, the, there was a seven mana 6-6 six, six that tutored when it came into play. That's what this does with some, you know, Convoke and then make it cost one more. And then the spell you get has Convoke. So I think this is on, in general a little more powerful. And that card was part of like a few sort of combo-ish lines where you would play multiple of them at the end of games and just end up with this crazy ward presence. And Hoarding Broodlord just seems better than that card. So I feel like there is a line there. Yeah. You just get like a clone, right? Just tutor up a, like a glass yeah. mimic or something and convoke that into play again. I don't know. And there are a handful of cheap black cards that give us two creatures. There's the two mana one one that makes a uh, an undying zombie if you don't control one. There's the the two mana one one zombie that amasses one. So if you just play those two creatures on turn two and turn three and whatever your opponent kills the, the one of the one ones. Like on turn four, you can base like almost like you can just do it all. It's crazy. You just hoarding broodlord on turn four. It sounds really good, but I mean, all of these giant convoke spells sound really good. There's got to be, they can't be that good. It's probably just very hard <laughs> to set up. Well, as uh, Bud Grant, the legendary Minnesota Vikings coach who just recently passed away, always like to say, a lot of guys look good getting off the bus. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> got to get them on the field before we can uh, decide who makes a team. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a fine place to wind up the review. Before we head out, I will put you on the spot, David. We promised people a top five list, and I want to hear your top five. The top five cards that excite you the most from this set. If you want to make a prediction for which cards will be the most impactful in either Modern or Pioneer, uh, we'd love to hear those as well. All right. My top five cards I'm most excited to brew with. Number one, Chrome Host Seed Shark. I'm guessing this will be our first week card since you and I are both equally excited, which is pretty rare. I love this card. I have to say. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we both love this card it it like we love cards that reward casting a bunch of spells which we love just generating <laughs> we love game objects mm-hmm. it's not even that expensive so it feels like you even get to do the thing on turn four some reasonable amount of the time uh so we'll see <laughs> it seems insanely powerful but again uh to dan and i just are suspicious when we're mm-hmm. the cards we like tend to not be that powerful so there's something wrong <laughs> with our <laughs> yes <laughs> um Thalia and the Git Frog, I mentioned a couple weeks ago. I actually think this card is quite good. It lines up very well with the format right now, I think. Uh, and in, we don't normally play lots of like Hate Bear style decks. You know, we don't like playing cards that are individually weak, uh, that don't give you a lot of ability to manipulate your deck. This is a Hate Bear that actually like draws a bunch of cards and starts flip, flipping through your deck. Hmm. It's very unique. Um, so it kind of moves into our wheelhouse. It has that text, draw a card on it, which we love to see. Invasion of uh, Gobakan. So I don't want to brew with this. I just want to play the one deck. <laughs> like I said, I, I just have to, I've been dreaming of, of doing this since you mentioned that this could exist. I've been waiting to have 12 enablers. We are at 12. It's go time. You've been patient. Will the deck be good or bad? I don't care. You deserve this. You've been patient. You've waited. Yeah. I'll just run through two leagues. Maybe it'll be good. You know, and then we'll have to like do a week on it. That'd be... <laughs> Number four, uh, Doomscar Warrior, and like backup in general, but uh, I really love the lines you guys are talking about, like turn one elf, turn two Stormseeker, turn three Doomscar Warrior, target the Stormseeker, Stormseeker targets Doomscar Warrior, gives it haste. Now you're talking with two three three Trampler creatures, and they both basically find a creature. I also think it works incredibly well with Glissa and Garak's uh, Harbinger. Hmm. Uh, again, Harbinger normally gets brick wall by other colors. This kind of fixes that problem. So you get to attack with your 5-4 Trample Harbinger. Okay, now they do get to block with Adeline. But we draw two cards uh, in the exchange. Or they just take five and we draw two cards. Um, 
the fact that we have like removal stapled to creature in bone crusher means we're like also finding like value cards uh, obviously there's a few black creatures that are worse than bone crusher that can do that kind of stuff if we have creatures that are hate pieces again white has the better hate bear so maybe that's that's not a good angle but it finds those as well um yeah like i was playing a bit with glissa and it was just getting brick walled a lot they just throw away you know an elf or whatever it's like all right now it has trample it always gets through uh, trample death touch and it's just insane it's gonna look at your top five pick a card and draw a card or disenchant if you want so i think those opening lines are actually really good and i'm gonna kind of look at to like rebuild from the boats core without chariot which is a card we love uh some of these like little more tempo positive ones that draw more cards and then finally number five uh blood feather phoenix i actually lo just like love like the counter burn style um you know, you were talking about these super sweet combo lines with the new uh, Rona, the the Jace. I'm liking it. Maybe just loot away Phoenix. Play the Madness Lightning Bolt. It's another mm -hmm. wizard with Jace Fringe Prodigy. Play the counters, the wizard counterspell, the wizard lightning bolt. Um, Phoenix is just a value card. We just have all this burn we're going to chuck at their face and uh, just bring the Phoenix back into play for a red. I'm actually fairly surprised to see this on your list. I did not realize you liked that style of deck. Oh, like if I'm playing for real, for real, I like all my like friends that I play locally, just counter burn is my like a tempo counter burn style. So you're actually willing to point a burn spell at the opponent's face just to bring this back. The two, two, oh, fire haste. Are you kidding me? I don't know. I mean, uh, that's all I want to do. <laughs> I've never seen you do that before. Right? We don't really play aggro decks on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like the first way to burn their the face. First, the first list we ever built was like a blue, white, like tempo counter tempo list okay yeah and so again there's not that much brewing to do because only a few cards kind of do those things and it's sort of like well and i've well we'll get to it next week but i've been building some terrible aggro decks and pioneer um a lot of the brewing space takes place in with uh, mid-range decks and a bunch of synergies and tempo decks don't really allow for that so hmm. that's my preferred play style for sure like the the two mana two one fairy that uh kind of draws a card is like another card that like fits my preferred play style quite a bit but interesting it's not like a brewing card this is a surprising top five for me but i i like it my top five all right what do you have i have the seed shark that's my number yes. two card the only card that i like better than the chrome host seed shark is the omen hawker that's probably my number one card that i'm i'm just kind of obsessed with it like everyone's telling me it's bad but it's a one drop that taps for two. It's like a Jorga tree speaker that comes pre-leveled up. What's not to love there? <laughs> well, they don't realize that we're talking about a one mana draft card. <laughs> this is the Dan Shriever special. It does something totally unique. No other card does this. <laughs> this is the they don't know meme. I'm just like at the party. Yeah, exactly. Here in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my number one. Sea Shark number two. Number three card I'm most excited for is another blue card. All my favorite cards are blue at this time. Rona, Disciple of Gix. I love looting, and Rona just lets you loot so many times. She has infinite combos. She has transform synergies with Omenhawker. She works with Tyvar. She works with Unctus. I have not given up on looting yet, and this is going to be my, the last, last stand for the looting deck. If, if, <laughs> if Rona can't do it, it's not going to happen. Beyond that, I mean, my fourth or fifth cards would probably just be the battle mechanic in general. Is there a battle deck? I have no idea which cards are the best there. And is there a convoke deck? I'm intrigued by these mechanics and I just want to like learn about them, try these new cards and figure out how to enable them. I have no idea which are the right payoffs or which are the right battles to go for, but I'm excited to explore. All right. And so in your mind, what cards do you think will be most impactful in modern? It's a short list, to be honest. Like, the only card I, I know for sure is going to be good is Surge of Salvation. This is better than Blacksmith's skill for Hammer, so it's, it's a huge upgrade for a known tier 1 deck. Beyond that, I mean, I think the Chrome Host Seed Shark is actually a sleeper for Modern. That's kind of why I'm so excited about it. Like, Modern's a format where if you, if you want cost reduction, you can have it. Like, you can just play Leyline Binding and Chrome Host Seed Shark in the same turn. That's basically Splinter Twin. Like. They're not going to come back from, from that. <laughs> Everyone's going to disagree. They turn the podcast <laughs> off right now. Like, all right. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. If you want to play Force of Negation, 
to protect your seed shark. Like, if you want to play Shining Shoal, this is what Lawson and I have been talking about. <laughs> I think the seed shark is legitimately good in modern. And beyond that, it's very unclear. I think Knight Errant of Eos has the right skills and maybe even the Omen Hawker, although one toughness is a liability in modern, but it has interesting synergies with Urza's Saga. It's tough. I mean, beyond that, you're, you're really stretching. You could pick a battle and say maybe, but I, I don't think so. Um, you could pick a Convoke card. I like the blue one Temporal Cleansing as like a, a blue Assassin's Trophy. Um, Seed of Hope, maybe, if, if that's, you know, that's, that's the green consider. But it's tough. I mean, those are long shots for modern. What do you think? Am I missing any? <laughs> I think you maybe have too many on the list. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree. It's, it's basically just Surge of Salvation. Most people don't have Omen Hawker on their on their <laughs> modern impact list is what I'm saying. Maybe they're wrong. That's just an observation I'm making. I'm not hearing. This is the top five most impactful. The cards that years from now people will say, yeah. where were you when they printed Omen Hawker into modern? <laughs> I, yeah. I was listening to Faithless Brewing. That's where yeah. I was. There was only one man. His name was Dan Trever. <laughs> he lives out in the woods now. <laughs> He's brought food by the children on their lunch break. Tattered rags. If not modern, what about Pioneer? What do you think? Um, I actually, again, I think the most impactful cards in general are cards that fit into like kind of known archetypes, which is unfortunate, but it is how it is. Um, I think Galta and Marvin, the turn two or turn three Soren play is actually just going to be super real. You're kidding. Really? Yeah. I I, I think Soren is like the best three mana Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. And just sort of like how Attracts is just like, they just kept printing seven drops and Attracts is just the best of the seven drops. So there's not like, I don't want to discount the work people have been doing, but it's not that much of a brew. Like it's all the same shells. We just like, all right, instead of hitting this seven drop, we're going to hit Attraxa. Mm. Um. This is just like the new sweet uh, vampire to put in play, but it just wins the next turn. Like you can easily win turn three with Soren. And I think you outlined the uh, white uh, vampire that gets a plus one, plus one token uh, yeah. and then draws a card. Legion duelist. Yeah. So like I play my elf, you kill it. I play my two drop. You don't kill it. I play Soren. I plus onto this. If I don't have the Galta and Marvin. And now there's like another must kill threat that I'm drawing an extra card every turn. And eventually I hit the Galta and Marvin. So it's like, you just have to kill everything. You have to kill the elf. You have to kill the the two, two because it's going to draw cards. And then you have to stop Soren from resolving. Cause at any point you can just put the Galta and Marvin in play and Mar- Galta and Marvin, of course can be killed, but like not that much removal does. So, hmm. and if it ever attacks, the game is over. I mean, it's just crazy how powerful that card is. Interesting. Okay. Kind of forgot about that one. And then I think uh, Pelucranos and Mono Green. Um, you know, Mono Green has a few bad matchups, Mono White and Mono Blue Spirits. Pelucranos really helps fix the Spirits match. If you think of it like they were playing, um, they have a few, slots, uh, you know, kind of flex slots. They do. They were playing um, Lovestruck Beast as like a quote unquote good blocker. Well, this has the exact same toughness as Lovestruck Beast. Two extra pips for Nykthos. Blocks all the spirits. Um, I don't think there's any other flying creatures. I guess it's fine against angels, but I mean, whatever. And then it's also a mana sink. So at the end, okay, you might get burned out or whatever, tempoed out. You just turn it into a 6-6 lifelink and smash smash them. So I, I actually think this card is just, I mean, not a huge upgrade because the deck is quite good already, but just they have all these flex spots. I know you sort of speculated maybe Ren and Realm Breakers, mm. one they ought to consider. Um, I just think Pelucranos is just maybe just a uh, much more like tempo positive card. And I also think it helps shore up some of their weaker matchups. Yeah, Pelucranos probably beats out Ren, probably. But you could consider Ren and Roundbreaker for Mono Green. You could consider the, what is that battle? The one that looks at your top five. Yeah, Ikoria. Yeah, that, that one maybe. New toys for Mono Green. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm not a mono green expert. This is just what I would try. You know, I, I play three Pelucranos over the in this in the flex blots. Then I think Rem Run and Realm Breaker. To your point, uh, when you were walking through your long uh, Twitter feed, one tweet was very good, which is ascendancy. Uh, I think it fits in very well there. It fixes the mana for ascendancy. It sets up your creature for uh, ascendancy. It creates a, a token that works with the combo. Fills your graveyard for your dig through time or. Um, if you're playing 
the draw three, and then it, it finds Ascendancy itself. So it kind of does everything. I actually think Ascendancy is going to be a deck we start to see a lot of. It, it'll, it'll move back into tier one. And then I think Change the Equation is actually very good as a main deck card in a handful of controllish builds or tempo builds. And I expect to see it as a, a cyborg card du jour in uh, decks that play blue. My predictions for Pioneer would have Random Run Breaker on it. I, I think that not just Ascendancy, but also the Transmogrify combos will get a big boost from having this Hexproof target. I'm surprised you didn't believe in the Chrome Host Seed Shark. Like, I like it because I think it's actually good. And if it's good in Modern, it's probably okay in Pioneer. I think it's, I think it's going to be great, but cards I like are never actually good. So <laughs> I like this card too much for it to be good is like my weird circuitous way. Gotcha. Typically, yeah. the style of cards that you and I like and we're super excited about end up not being good enough. Uh, and this is a card we both love. So it, it's, it'd be unprecedented, although not impossible, for it to actually be uh, very good in Pioneer. I've already got three decks built. I mean, I, I, we don't even have to talk about screws. I've got, I've got them built with uh, one of the random sharks from <laughs> one of the Ravnica sets, <laughs> like filling the, the placeholder, the, one of the blue-green. <laughs> <laughs> Shark to Crab is, is just in all the lists. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to go ahead and put the Seed Shark on my Love most it. Love the confidence. List. Just um, do it. Yeah, and same with Venom Runbreaker. I don't know exactly which deck yet, but it supports a lot of possible directions. I'm going to take a stand on Ronan. Like, it's going to be good. It's going to impact Pioneer. I'm not exactly sure how yet, but it has combos. But if you had to guess, Dan, you think a combo will be part of the shell? I think like so. it, it'll be played with Mox Amber, and then if you're going to do that, probably just the the yes, it will involve Mox Amber and Retraction Helix. It's just okay. a matter of finding the right support. Probably yes. involves Tyvar and possibly Unctus. I'm not totally sure how it finishes. Emery, dude. Possibly Emery, yeah, possibly. Knight Errant of Eos. Like this is one that just looks so powerful that I must be misunderstanding it. Like it's a human too, which is nuts. There's an existing mono white humans deck. And if they don't want the Knight of Eos, then I got to rethink everything, right? <laughs> like maybe they just don't want it because they don't want to take a turn off attacking, but it's so powerful. So uh, this to me looks like a card that will impact both Pioneer and Modern, but I could be wrong. And of course, Omen Hawker. Got to put Omen Hawker on the list. All right. This is like a super reach. I, I don't want to like, because I'm teasing Dan about Omen Hawker, so I'll give him a card to tease me about. There's a card called Rawls Reinforcements. It's one in a red sorcery. It creates two blue-red elemental tokens. Okay. You know this card? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Perfect card okay. for blue convoke. Sure. It could be that. I think that card is actually going to be really good in like a grinning Ingus deck because they're already playing for Risen Reef. Oh, God. So so there's going to be like a teamer shell with with um, Risen Reef and uh, Rawls Reinforcements. I'd also point out, because I built this deck a few different ways, Young Pyromancer makes elemental tokens as well. Okay. So there's there, there's something there. I, 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 again, make an impact. I, the the Ingus deck is already a shell. It's pretty good. Hmm. Um, and that that's just a, a thing that makes body. So maybe there's a Convoke shell. May, maybe there's a maybe some of the something. There's something to think about in there. All right. Well, those are our predictions for Pioneer, for Modern, and some of our favorites as well. There's a lot going on in this set, David. There's so much going on. Like, I've, <laughs> I kept making lists. I have a list of top five battles. I have a list of top five two card stupid combos, and like both of those lists, I couldn't even narrow down to five. There's there's so many. Maybe what we're supposed to be doing is discarding the eighteen six creature to Crag and Cremator. Maybe that's the real legacy of this set. Like that's actually maybe kind of good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a noticeable upgrade to the deck <laughs> but you know there's there's so much happening here it's just a it's a sweet set it's a confusing set like my top five battles list i, I couldn't even narrow it down to a top 10 it's just very confusing um yeah i mean I'll, I'll say for me i i'm not that excited about this set but um i am prepared to be very wrong about battles i mean it could be that these cards just make the game very interesting and if battles are interesting, then the set is like a great success. And then if they aren't interesting, if it's just a card that we kind of every once in a while put in play and it's more of a limited mechanic, then I, I think it's 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 a pretty big swing and a miss. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. 
All right. Well, if you want to see those lists, uh, I won't talk up all your time right now, but you can see them in the extended show notes if you are a patron. <laughs> I'm sure we'll come back to some of them as time wears on. But David, I think we did it. I think we finished the set review. Now we just wait two weeks for the set to come out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Can't wait. It's funny, as I build deck lists that have like more and more cards that I have as placeholders, they like get more complicated. Like when I look at them, I'm going to like, all right, this costs four. I think it was like, what, what card is this supposed to be a placeholder for? Exactly. Hopefully I can remember in two weeks. Well, we got plenty of time to polish up those brews and pretty yes. soon get to work. Until then, <laughs> I bid you adieu. <laughs> Bye-bye. This concludes our Brewer's Guide to March of the Machine. Tune in next time for an interview with special guest Dak Faden 7 and a look at the freshest technology in modern. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. Leave us a review in your podcast app and visit patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing to join our Discord community and help support the show. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.